You go from college athlete to in the crime life, selling a lot of drugs, doing drugs yourself, living the wildlife, to then prison, to getting out and really struggling and trying to find your way as a young guy, finding a great job and, you know, being happy. That, that's truly inspiring me. What is going on, my podcast listeners? My name is Nick Bradbury, and thank you for tuning in to Retired Crime. Here on Retired Crime, you will hear real-life stories being told from retired criminals. You're going to get an in-depth look into how an ex-con's life started, how and why they got into a life of crime, how they were caught, the look and feel of prison life, and what life is like after crime. So the idea for this podcast came to light from the career I do for a living. I'm actually a police officer in North Texas, and for being a police officer and working in this profession, I have always been interested in hearing people's life stories, where they came from, and ultimately hearing how and why someone commits crime or gets involved in that type of lifestyle. On this first episode of Retired Crime, I'm going to be sitting down and talking with a retired drug dealer. His name is Austin Hagen, and boy, does he have a real-life story for you guys. Austin went from being an all-state wrestler and football player in high school to getting a scholarship to play football in college to then ultimately getting injured and turning to a life of crime. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a real-life story being told by a real-life retired criminal. You know, start from the beginning. You know, I came from a uh, above middle class family. Um, I had great parents. I had an older brother and a younger sister. And, you know, pretty much my whole entire youth growing up was involved with sports uh, from football to wrestling. My father was my football coach. My parents were very supportive. They were everything. They didn't miss anything. Wrestling, I was very competitive. Uh, won numerous youth state championships in wrestling. Wow. Uh, did a lot of traveling. Won national championships. Did a lot of traveling. So pretty much, you know, sports took up all my time from when I was six to twenty something. You know, I was always heavily involved in sports, and my parents were very, <clears throat> very supportive of it. Um, from uh, Decula, I went to Mill Creek High School. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you told me a little bit about where you're from in your childhood. So how, how was your high school life like? Um, you know, high school was great. I was, you know, I was real reserved in high school. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of kept to myself. I didn't do anything, you know, other than sports in school. Where um, in, in high school, man, where the high school that you went to, were, were drugs a big thing? I went to the uh, biggest high school in the state of Georgia. Um, I went okay. to Mill Creek High School. And... It's a it's a pretty wealthy area, you know, pretty affluent area. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of kids and a lot of drugs, but I really didn't pay any attention. I had a lot of friends, you know, that smoked pot and whatnot. But, yeah. you know, I really want nothing to do with it at all, really. It was just, you know, it's kind of funny how things turn out. But, yeah. you know, I didn't want to be around it. I want to have anything to do with it. Only thing I was really focused on was just excelling in sports and getting my grades right so I could get into college. Would you say, do? would you think, man, Austin, you know, a, a community that is middle class, upper class, do you think that is a little bit more, is that where you think drugs come from more is when people have more money and they no, know, are able I, to get the stuff and the kids? I'll tell you what I know about drugs is everybody's yeah. doing them. It doesn't matter whether you're yeah. rich, poor, middle class, you know, everybody does drugs. You know, it just depends. on You got more money, you're doing better drugs. You know Yeah. what I mean? No, it makes sense. But there's everywhere in every community, okay. you know, rich communities, poor communities, every ethnicity, everybody's doing drugs. Well, I can de- I can definitely see that. I, I from everything that I've heard, everything that I've seen, you know, yeah, yeah I, it makes perfect sense. 
after uh, so after high school, man, you, you were getting your grades straight, you know, getting involved in athletic and stuff. So did you end up getting a scholarship? I, uh, when, you you know, know, I did. I got a like a third of a scholarship to Georgia Southern, which at the time was a FBS school or not. It wasn't FBS, it was FCS. So you got FBS football uh, bowl series and you have football championship series. So that's one double A at the time. So they can give like partial okay. scholarships. So I had Hope and what Hope didn't cover, then I have football going to college. What position? I was did you actually an offensive lineman. Oh, wow. Okay. Would you, uh, was that a pretty, pretty, int- I, I was never a big football guy, man. Obviously, I wrestled, so I know that the lifestyle of wrestling, the sport of wrestling and everything. Football, man, I never really got into. Would you say, you know, that position w- was just grueling on your oh, body yeah. and, I had, you know, mental breakdown? Big time. I had a lot of uh, shoulder surgeries. I actually had my first shoulder surgery in eighth grade. I tore my labrum. Oh, wow. Yeah. Doctor said I was the youngest person probably to ever have that type of surgery. So in college, you know, you get your partial, you get your partial scholarship, you go to college, you're, you're doing athletics and stuff. You know, what was, what was your college life like? So starting out in college, you know, I was real reserved. I really have not experienced anything of the sort. And Georgia Southern is a huge party school. I mean, it is just unbelievable the type of shit that goes on down there. You know, it's while you almost can't, you know, you can't even prepare for it. It's one of those things, you, you know, you just go down there and it just blows your mind, you know. So I, yeah, I got down there and, you know, felt so like behind everybody else, you know, and, like how to have a good time and go. I want to go out and get tore up, have a good time down there. I mean, it was just wild, you know, and it just kind of blew me away. You know, I just try to get down there and just be like everybody else. And, you know, I've been making an ass of myself a few times going out and never really been anybody that drank so much down there and try to keep up everybody else. And, you know. I kind of made an ass of myself a few times down there. My first two years down there was just me playing football and going to school and, you know, trying to crack the starting lineup, you know, and just get some playing time. But I kind of felt like my uh, offensive line coach had a hard-on for me. He felt like he just didn't like me for some odd reason. Really, I think he doesn't like me because of my father. Kind of jumped up his ass one time. So I felt like he kind of had it out for me, you know, from the whole time I was down yeah. there. And, you know, I didn't do anything but bust my ass for those first two years, you know, trying to get better, you know, and help the team out. But <clears throat> I just felt like, you know, wasn't anything I could do that that man would like or appreciate, you know. Now, when um you said you said for your first two years you were really getting involved in you know just trying to just grind grind the football life and grind the school life uh when did you end up getting you said you got injured so when did you end up getting injured in, well in so it was uh you know rolling into my sophomore year my parents financially you know my whole life had been fine but as soon as i got to college mm. uh you know that happened and essentially they pretty mm. much just went broke and had they couldn't help me out in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. So I lost my hope rolling into my sophomore year at school. Mm-hmm. So I had to come out of pocket since I only had like a third of a scholarship for like my rent and everything. So yeah. I burned through my money quick and I needed to get a job. So I ended up having to bounce at a bar down in Statesboro called Retrievers where I would get off football practice at 7 o'clock Monday through Wednesday and I would work at the bar and would not leave until like three in the morning. And then I'd have to wake up at five thirty to go work out 
and go do like treatment and stuff in morning. And I did that Monday through Wednesday so I could pay my rent to, uh, just so I had a place to sleep, you know? And by the end of football season, man, my body was just not having that sleep, you know, going through three days throughout the week with like two and a half hours, maybe seven hours of sleep through three days, you know, for wore my body out, you know, going into the off season, actually how I had another previous shoulder surgery in high school, my junior year. So that was my second labrum. And then I was in the off season. I had just got some playing time. I played real well. You know, I was going into my red shirt sophomore season and it was looking like it was going to be, you know, really good for me. Like I was probably going to crack a, get the starting job. I mean, I played real well, you know, I got to split reps with other players towards the end of my redshirt freshman year and started rotating in, really getting some playing time and playing real well. Everything was starting to come together. And then going into my redshirt sophomore year, you know, I was hitting the weights, getting real strong, getting big. And I rolled over on my shoulder in my sleep and blew it out. Woke up instantly, you know, in my arm. Just was just laying there. I mean, it hurt so bad yeah. while I was sleeping. On top of that, I had a palmital cyst on my tailbone. I told my football trainers about it my freshman year, and uh, they were supposed to lance it or do something about it, and they never did. And honestly, I probably could have sued the school for this. And then after uh, my redshirt freshman season, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And... Uh, so I had my shoulder surgery, and all I could do was just sit around, you know, all day, you know, all day long. And all that pressure from that cyst built up so big, it got to, like, the size of a baseball. I mean, it hurt so bad to sit down. And then that pressure from that was just getting so bad. And then I was sitting down on the couch one night with my buddy Aaron, who used to play football, but got, a lot of, uh, got in a lot of trouble and complained no more. So yeah. I was sitting on the couch with him, and then I stood up. My ass was soaked. Like, I had on some khaki shorts, and my ass was soaked. And I reached down and touched my hands and lift up, and it was like some gooey shit. You know, the cyst had got so bad, it popped in my pants. I had to walk around campus with a sling and a donut for three months. That, that man, that sounds... uh Sounds like a, a, a the college life that you you know you don't want to have when you're you know going off to college <laughs> for you football know, and all that. It, it, it sucked, but you know, and it wasn't too bad. But what got me is you know when I had all those shoulder surgeries in high school, my parents never let me take any of those pain pills at all. In college, my parents, you know, I think everybody's family they got history of some people abusing things and stuff. Yeah. <sighs> No, I yeah, I could definitely, I could so, definitely agree you know, with you on that for sure. I'll start taking those pain pills that I was getting when I was down there. Next thing you know, I'm a zombie for like three months, just a complete mm-hmm. zombie. Man, uh, being a sophomore and having to go through that, or just you know, a redshirt freshman and having to go all through that is just is just absolutely man, something I wouldn't want to go through definitely. But you know, man, I wanna. I want to transition in and just pretty much dive right into it, man. So, you know, Austin was a uh, was a drug dealer. Um, he started really getting into the drug game, the drug lifestyle. And um, 
I want to talk about that, Austin. I want to talk about this is, you know, what I want the listeners to, you know, to hear is just, you know, your whole life, where you came from and, you know, that how you came up. That's why I wanted to hear about, you, you know, your childhood, your high school, your athletics and your, you know, your college life. And, you know, from that, you know, you had a pretty good, you had a good life, I would say. You know, you were a- a- athletic, growing up in middle class family, good, good area, good high school, getting, getting a scholarship, not typical, not typically what you would hear from you know, a person that was involved in the drug game. You don't, you don't typically hear that, you know, from my profession, a lot of the people that I've dealt with that have been involved in the drug game, you know, a lot of them, their parents weren't around always constantly getting into trouble. And then from getting into trouble, they were robbing people, breaking into houses, breaking into cars, then getting into the drug game. So, you know, it's not typical for someone to have, you know, this middle-class life, um, you know, good supportive parents, loving parents, you know, being athletic, winning state and wrestling, which is a, a hell of an accomplishment. Also getting a scholarship for, you know, for football. So, you know, good at both two sports and then transitioning to this, this drug life. So, you know, man, just start from the beginning where, how did you, go from college athlete scholarship to being a, a very big drug dealer, pushing a lot of weight. And what I mean by weight is, you know, selling a lot of drugs to, you know, from college to so how initially what happened, you know, is after I had all the surgeries and then I couldn't work, I couldn't bounce anymore at the bars down there. So I, my money was just getting really low and my parents couldn't send me any money at the time, you know, and you know, that's not really an excuse, but, I'd never experienced anything like that before in my life. And then so I'd come down to it uh, with all these surgeries. And I was wrapping up and I was going to see the doctor. He didn't think that I should continue to play football anymore. And uh, so what ended up happening is the head football coach offered me a medical scholarship, which would be a full scholarship. So at the time, financially, you know, I really need this, but I didn't want to quit playing football. And I was really just caught in a hard position where I'd give up something that means so much to me so I can get a full scholarship, you know, and not have to worry about anything anymore. And it just it really ate me up, you know, and I talked with my dad about it, about what I should do. So, you know, what I really want to do, I just want to keep playing football. And I could have kept playing football, you know, even though my shoulder was all tore up, I could have toughed it out and kept playing. But it was one of those things was like, and they were telling me, you know, if you play, we, we can't offer you a full ride you'll still be on your third of a scholarship. And it was one of those things was like, fuck. I mean, it really ate me up years to get over me making that decision, honestly, you know. And then it was like I took the medical disqualification, you know, and that ate me up. And on top of that, you know, you're not a part of the team anymore. So, like, everybody that I hung out with, did everything with, I wasn't a part of that anymore. You know what I mean? And that really fucked me up, like – that's really what ate me up so bad, you know, and to deal with the pain from not playing football anymore. I must feel like I sold everybody out down there taking that medical scholarship. You know, it just fucked me up. And then it went from, you know, I was doing those pain pills while I was, you know, fucked up from surgery. And then I started smoking a bunch of pot. It took me years, even after, you know, I got arrested and went to prison. It probably took me two, three years after getting out of prison to finally get over it. And, you know, still sometimes today, I still regret that decision I made. But, so, yeah, I started smoking pot. And then my buddy Aaron, who I was down there with, you know, he wasn't playing football anymore. So I'd hang out with him and haul his buddies. 
from this county called Effingham, which is down, you know, that's like Metro Savannah. And those motherfuckers down there are so wild, would not even believe it. They just did the craziest shit. But yeah. they were a lot of fun, you know, but they always just do the just the dumbest, wildest things. But when you were out, you know, it was, you were having fun. And so the guys football team, you know, quit. That we just had different schedules. We didn't hang out anymore. So I started hanging out with these crazy, stupid people, smoking pot, drinking every day of the week, going out to the bars. I mean, the bars in Statesboro were open every single day. At this time, were you were you um, like a I, junior? Or I was. I was rolling in my junior year, but rolling into junior. So year. Okay. Who I hung out with after I got mostly disqualified was my buddy Aaron, and then he ended up getting a few DUIs and having to leave school. His parents. Uh, Somehow, I mean, he got like his fourth or fifth UI, and his parents got him into like a rehab. I don't know how they did it, but so he up and rooted. So that was like my buddy who I hung out with. So I had like nobody, and then I started hanging out with the guys that he was hanging out with, and started just doing some dumb shit. So then, after I got medically disqualified, I moved out of the football dorms and got like in a house with a few of these guys from Effingham. And so that's when the shit really just kind of started rolling. But I just was getting these guys every day of the week, smoking pot every day. They were doing other things. But really, you know, just doing the things I should be doing. And then Thursday through Saturday, you know, we'd have these wild parties over at the house where there'd be at least like 30-something people, 100 people there, just raising all sorts of hell, doing all sorts of bad things, snorting coke. Popping pills, shooting up pills, you know, busting down Roxy's and shooting it up with syringes. I mean, just crazy. Now, for it's people listening, much, what, are, like what are Roxy's heroin, exactly? You know, when you break it down and okay. suck it up with syringe and shoot it up. They're college They kids weren't in shooting, college. Using syringes college, to but shoot. They were of college age. Okay. You know what I mean? Just these people were just wild. I mean, just crazy. And then I started doing some of the same dumb shit that they did. And it just, I burned through all of my refund money. And uh, I had like 200, 300 bucks left. And I was like, fuck, you know, I got these bad habits. But, you know, oh, my money. So I was like, damn, you know, maybe I need to go buy an ounce and gram it out and sell every single gram. And, you know, that's exactly what I did. I went and bought an ounce. Now, how did now how did you get it? How did you go get an ounce? Like you know, for for someone that you know is listening to this podcast, they might, they would have no idea. Most likely, if they've never smoked marijuana or they they don't or they they live in a certain community or they live somewhere, some people might not know how to go get an ounce. You know, so where did you was yeah, it was, a connection? Yeah, I was a high school buddy, and I'm going. I came back home for a holiday or something, and I picked up an ounce, and I ended up selling all of it. And the thing about Shakespeare, you know, is there's not any good weed down in Shakespeare. You know, there's like no, you know, all good weeds up around Atlanta, yeah. real all good drugs up around Atlanta and Statesboro, you know, ain't nothing but mids down there. It really, all the pot just sucks. But so came up, bought that ounce, went back down there, grabbed it, sold all of it. I don't think making like 500 bucks. And I had another buddy down there. He didn't really sell a lot of drugs. He sold like, he buy an ounce and sell like little grams of people. And uh, so me and him, after I sold that ounce, I was like, fuck you, let's go get a quarter pound. And we put our money together and I went up there and bought a quarter pound for like 700 bucks. I kept two ounces of it. He kept two ounces of it. And then I sold those two ounces. And next thing I know, I got to smoke, you know, 
a quarter of it by myself. And then I sold the other of it and I had enough money to go buy a quarter pound by myself. And I was like, damn, you know, bad. Um, you know, smoking and, weed and you know, at that point, and then making some money. I wasn't really making anything at that time. You know, I had like at the most maybe yeah. 1500 bucks on me, you know, and I thought I was hot shit, you know, walking around 1500 bucks and whatnot. Yeah, fuck yeah. I, I, I thought you know, bucks in college, I was right? big. You're a rich man. I really wasn't <laughs> selling much at all, though. And then uh, I actually came back up to get a half pound one time. And this was God was trying to give me a way out of selling drugs. You know, I drive up from Statesboro and drive up to Gwinnett and get some pot. At this time, I was getting it from the guy. I, I didn't even know who he was. You know, I was just picking it up. He had some pretty good pot. And it was pretty cheap. So I go pick it up from him and I drive back. It would be like, you know, eight, nine hours of driving. So back, you know, ounce, or I had a half pound on me and I was driving back down and I had to take shit and there wasn't no gas stations that were open. It was two o'clock in the morning. So like I, I pulled off at like two exits and was like, damn. And uh, so I started speeding. I was going like 92. <laughs> and uh, I'm driving through this town called Metter, you know, it's a, right before Statesboro and uh damn if there ain't a fucking metter police sitting right down in the ditch and I fly by him going like 92 and so I had a, a letter jacket I got from playing football at Georgia Southern and I had that on and there was a little zipper between the mesh and the jacket and uh so it was vacuum sealed the pot was so I z zipped it up and slide the pot in the jacket and uh close it back down and as I flew past the cop, I was like, oh, fuck. He turned his lights on and was coming down, you know, right after me, dude. And I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. My car smells like oh, pot shit. and my dumb ass has a half pound on me. So I take my jacket off and threw it on the floor. And he pulled me over and got my lights forever. He's like, you know how fast you're going? I was like, yeah. You know, at this point, I couldn't shit at all because my ass was so tight. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know how fast you're going? I was like, yeah. You know, I got to go to the bathroom and there ain't no bathrooms open. I was just at home visiting my parents or whatever. And he went back to his police car. Dude, he was back there for like 15 minutes. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing back there? Next thing I know, yeah, dude, I, I was fucking sweating. I bet you And then tweaking. next thing I know, four cop cars pulling behind him, dude. And they all walk up and shine the light. And my, they got, I've got like five, six flashlights on my ass. And I'm in there, dude, like, it's the middle of February. It's cold as hell outside. My ass is sweating. And they're like, you know how fast you're, or no, he came over and he's like, under the seaside and smell act doctrine. You know, we don't have to ask you permission to search your vehicle. Mr. Hagen, this is the only chance you got to, uh, tell me if you got anything in the vehicle or not. And I sit there, I, I might have hesitated for like a second. And you know, I was like, uh, no. And he pulled me out of my vehicle, my jacket, my letter jacket had the pot in it on the right side floor over there. And I looked at the cop and I was like, uh, hey, Mr. Officer. You mind if I grab my jacket? It's cold out here, you know, while y'all are searching my vehicle. He's like, yeah. And so he patted, he only patted the front two pockets I had. And I threw my jacket on. And I must have had six of the Metter police officers searching my vehicle, pulling everything apart, looking through it. And the officer I'm sitting next to looks at me, he goes, damn, Mr. Hagen, I'm not even next to your car and I can smell a pot from here. And I was like, that's just the damnedest thing. They searched, they searched my vehicle. Oh, didn't find a thing <laughs> and they didn't write me like a 456 dollar ticket Damn. that's the best ticket i ever paid but that was god telling me you know he, you dumbass don't need to be doing this anymore and i wasn't smart enough that was my out that was my out
you know, that was your out, man. Yeah, that, that was time. that was your out right there. And I'd have been fine. And getting that ticket and I ended up cutting you loose, and oh, I bet man. you were I just fucking, hooting and hollering on top of the world back after to, that. You know, that was about uh, what, spring break time or whatever. So had to get more know, involved. Spring break, had a good time, spent some money, came back, and my other roommate who had lived there, it was from Evan, had told me that there had been police by and looking at the house, and I had another guy whose parents were police officers down in him as well, and they were telling me that the cops were looking at our house because of what was going on, and I was like, fuck. So I had to quit for a little bit, you know. Just got a heads up. She had a lot of people. Officer, uh, from a kid whose parents were police officers. Like, yo, you guys need to chill out. So I quit cold turkey, you know. Just quit cold turkey. And, you know, broke pretty much. And I actually, you know, I had a job. So towards the end of that year, uh, my uh, that would have been my sophomore year or my junior year in college. I got a job coaching wrestling at a private school down there. I got to coach a really, really good team down there. And, okay. you know, I was still coaching. Yeah. Even I actually was starting to coach football at that school, but they didn't pay anything to coach football at all pretty much not until I got my first paycheck which was like 400 bucks but yeah I was fucking did ass broke down there had like no money I have like five six dollars in my bank account at the time you know and I had that job and helping out with football I was doing school I have zero money it got to a point where so I was living in that house and everybody else had already moved out to where I didn't have money to like pay the water bill or the power bill so like at the time, I would go over. I was dating this girl at the time, so I'd go over to her house, and that's where I shower and everything. Or sometimes I'd sneak into the recreational apartment up there at George Southern and take a shower. But I had to shit a day or my mom be able to send me like fifty bucks, wean, and make it to where I could get that refund check. And then I was rolling in to uh, that refund check hit, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" And me and that girl I was dating at the time, we went and got our own place pretty much, you know, like outside of the southern area. And uh, I got like $3,500 when my refund hit because I was signed up for a bunch of classes. I took that $3,500 and went and bought a pound, 1800 bucks. When you got to that point, you know, you were saying you don't want to live live this, you know, live this life that you're living, not be able to afford anything, not be able to, you know, pay money for the water and, you know, shitting in a bad refund check. Did you, was there any pause in your head being like, man, okay, do I go back to what I was doing? I was making money. I was enjoying it. Or do I? Hell no. I was all in. Was there any buddies, buddies I grew up playing football with? There's a bunch of people at Mo Creek, you know, that sold drugs and sold a lot of drugs. Gwinnett's really a good area, dude. As long as you just sell, like, pot and, like, lower things, yeah. they're really not going to fuck with you. You can almost pretty much get away with it up here. They really don't give a damn about butt. So he was telling me, you know, he was going out to California and getting, like, 20 pounds at a time and coming back, driving back with it. Yeah, so I found out about him. You know, he's a really good guy. Oh, shit. You know, just a, a very, very good guy. He made everybody feel like you were his best friend. You know what I mean? Just a absolute awesome guy. But I go up and get, I got mm -hmm. that pound from him and drove back down. I don't know. It took me like three weeks to sell it all. Three weeks, maybe three and a half. 
and I got six grand out of it. Uh, then, oh, dude. I'm going to go buy two pounds. I came up here and bought two pounds. I actually got some better weed this time. But, like, Statesboro didn't have pot like the pot that I was bringing down there, you know. And so I brought two pounds down there. And at the time, you know, I was selling everything on my own. Me individually, I would go and drop off two grams. So I was driving all over the place, you know. I was a kid. I started having people come to me and be like, man, were you like a front me an ounce? And I was like, yeah, you know what? Front you an ounce, you know, and I'll give you two weeks to pay me back. And I front them an ounce, you know, for like 400 bucks. So that's like, I get an ounce up here for a hundred and something dollars, you know, and down there, I were so high. Like a quarter here, Damn. you could probably get for like 30, 40 bucks. Down there, I sell it for $110. Or like uh eighth, which is 3.5 grams, I could sell for 60 bucks, you know? I mean, you really can just tax fuck. Cause that's what everything costs down there. Cause there's just not any down there with them. And I had like the best pot down there that I was getting from up here. It was coming from California, but I started to realize, you know, I quit hanging out and selling to, ske to sketchy people from like Effingham that I was selling to before. I started selling to a bunch of these nerds, you know, I get in with these nerds and I was like, you know, these guys are going to be the smartest about it, you know, at the time. So I started selling to them and then I started getting them to sell low key because they'd be like, hey, man, can I get a gram? I got a bunch of people I know that want to sell some pot or, you know, want to buy some pot. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll front you an ounce. And they come back within like a week with all my money and whatnot. And I had like four or five guys like this. You know, and then the week with all that gone too, and with all my money, you know, I give them two ounces and bring me back $800. And I didn't have to do anything but, you know, just sit on my ass and give them. After, you know, them doing it a few times, I'd went out and I bought all of them a burner phone. So it's like a fart that you can put like a prepaid, you know, on it. So your name's not on there when the cops are, you know, listening to your line and whatnot. They can't trace it back to you. So, I had like five, six guys, you know, out pretty much like my close friends that were down there. But pretty much I just had them out and they were out there selling everything for me. You know, parents after um, like five pounds every two weeks. So, you know, there was at one point I had, you know, close to 50 grand. Jeez. And I didn't. Yeah. Just in cash. Twenty two. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Twenty two and, and having 50. $50,000 in cash. Holy shit. I had a buddy who kept my drugs in a safe at his house, so I kept all my pot in there, and I paid him, you know, to, so I would drive by his house, you know, once a day, two times, three times a day, and i pick up some pot, and i go disperse it, and I'd go home. And I had another buddy who I pretty much took care of. You know, he's a goofy little bastard, but I liked him. But So I kept all my money hidden at his brother's house in a, a safe there. I had, you know, I had a good, it was a sweet thing going, you know what I mean? And just shit happens and stuff. And, uh, you know, one of my guys that I was giving drugs to, he ended up getting arrested. And I found out about it before, you know, he got out of jail. And uh, he came over to my house. I'm pretty sure he had something. He was trying to listen to me or something. I made him strip down butt naked and go stand out in the driveway. Told him, you know, I had, you know. I had a lot of unregistered guns. I had like three of them. You know, I told him he ever came over here and tried to do some shit like that again. I put one in his head 
<coughs> you should five pounds selling five pounds of weed every two weeks, you know, 50,000 to 60,000 dollars in cash, man, just having cash. And you were, you were, you were in charge, you were in charge, right? You were in charge. I was really hitting it hard. Anyway, so, you know, I was out living, having a good time, down, trying to just, you know, get as much ass as I could, just, you know, living recklessly, really. Once I, I come home, it was like a Saturday, and I had brought this girl home from bar. And uh, the next morning I woke up, I went to take her home, right? And, uh, Somebody came over and cut a hole in my tires. And at the time, I had a, a Mustang, and I bought these real wide, low-profile tires that were real expensive. They were like $1,600. And she slit my lifeguarding. So really, I was working. I was like, yo, somebody came to my house and slit my tires, you know. I can't leave. So I got out of work, you know. This was like June... 2015, you know, I was just wilding out. You were still, and you were still selling drugs. You know, I was acting a fool. Yeah. Just, you know, that's when I started kind of really getting into cocaine. And like, I was taking a bunch of uh, Adderall and stuff. I had a guy who who would trade me his prescription of Adderall for a eighth of pot. So I constantly was getting. Adderall, man, I'd be up, I'd be up all night, and then I'd go lifeguard all day and just keep doing it and doing it. But I was having time. But anyway, get, get to my tire story. So my tire hair got slit, and I came there, and uh, she was kind of, you know, like a vacuum in a way. So she come over or whatnot, and pretty much just come and suck you off and then leave, you know. Like her, and so, oh yeah, it was off. Me and my buddy house, right? And uh, as soon as we get back there, I look at the door, and there's this big old fucking indention right in the middle of the door. And I'm here thinking, like, the fuck? I've been robbed, and I went inside, dude. And my duplex had just been fucking flipped through, flipped over, holes punched in the walls, couch cut. All my shit's gone. My TVs, my Xbox, everything's gone. Fucked up. <clears throat> my dog, I had two dogs at the time. Uh, I had two real good dogs. I love animals, you know, I really love animals. Two dogs, and one of my dogs was missing. And all my roommates were gone. I had some, I had a roommate living with me at the time, and he had him and all his buddies were over there. You got to get this shit. Him and all his buddies and a girl that he was trying to fuck at the time were over there, right? When the house got raided. <laughs> and all of them got arrested. I know I'm laughing about it now. It's really fucked up, you know. I feel real bad about it. But that, the little buddy who had my friends over, he was the one. He was selling drugs for me, too. And, uh, you know, four of those people got arrested. And I came back home. Boy, I had a conniption fit. And the next thing I know... I'm, I'm like, oh, fuck. Dude, finally clicked in my head. Damn cops had raided my house. So I was grabbing a bunch, trying to put a bunch of things together, get the fuck out of the house. Next thing I know, I'm walking out of the driveway, dude, and there's damn all sorts of Bullock uh, County sheriffs out there with ARs and shit pointing at me, telling me to get down. Fuck not. Came over there, roughed me up a little bit. 
in my head, I'm thinking, what the fuck? I'm such an idiot. Yeah. Such a idiot. Got six felonies. Like, you know, I, I got caught with a little over three pounds. What were those felonies? I had some uh, Adderall. Yeah, I had some Adderall. I had some other sort of pill. I can't remember at the moment. Three pounds of weed, you said. I had cocaine. The guns are what really fucked me, you know, honestly, is what that was like the last nail in the coffin. Wow. But I was like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, upset my parents. And I did. And that was the worst of it. So I sat in jail for like three weeks before my parents finally came and bailed me out. And then I came home, you know. Went to my and grabbed a little bit of shit that I had left. So they, you know, they busted up on all my doors and arrested everybody there. So people literally just walked in my house and took all my shit, you know, at their leisure. What they wanted. I pretty much lost everything, you know. I mean, I, things are clothes left. But even people had gone in there and, like, taken my nice clothes, you know, everything. So, yeah, I went in there and did that. And then I came home and I uh, I don't have a vehicle or anything, you know, and that was just pretty shitty just being stuck at home. You know, everybody in the world pissed off at you for being dumbass, you know. College just fell wayside yeah, and nothing, other things took not priority. Thing. And then, you know, I was just thinking, boy, this oh. fucking sucks. You know, you got a lot of, I actually had 10 grand buried in my backyard. Um, next for like offer of doing eight months in prison, uh, you know, if you take, you can take it, or if not, you know, you can go, which, you know, could have been better or worse. So, my parents for the rest of your life with the charges that you have, yeah. you know, just from, like, getting, I've never done anything stupid in my life before. And they were like, yeah, you could go away forever. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, this guy's just full of shit. You know, but anywho, so, after, you know, working, he called me, and was like, yeah, dude, you gotta go do eight months in prison. And I was like, all right, fuck. So I went down there, um, turned myself in, but you still have to go to a uh, damn court. And I went in there, had my suit on and whatnot. And uh, from there, after that, I had like four hours to, uh, you know, give me some food or do something before I had to go to jail. You know, my dad went to got me some food and I went to jail and then they took me back there and I sat in this waiting room for four fucking days in my damn suit four days in my suit i didn't have a car i slept on a concrete floor for four days and like sometimes the jail would not even bring food in there, dude. wow and i'm in there i'm the only cracker in this place you know what i mean in a damn suit i'm the only white guy in there got all his teeth and stuff dude so everybody trying to fuck with me you know yeah. i'm in there in this damn waiting room everybody trying to fuck with me you know Shit sucked. It's terrible. You know, I got out of my suit or whatnot, and they sent me back there. And I'll tell you right now, dude, Bullet County Jail is the worst jail to be in. It is fucking terrible. It's not because, you know, you go, I'm sure you, some people have to worry about getting their shit rocked in there or some shit happening. But the fact that they is, you know, have anything to do is terrible. They're like 60 man dorms, and each cell has like six beds in there. But like, so all the windows are covered up. Every window in there is covered up. And so they wake you up in the morning at 5 o'clock and they feed you breakfast. And then they wake you up at 10 o'clock. So you go back in your cell. And at 10 o'clock, then they come and feed you lunch. And they give you a pack out 
Monday through Thursday, which is uh, one bologna sandwich and one peanut butter sandwich. And you got to make that last the rest of the day. But you go back into your room after you eat lunch until like, damn, four o'clock, maybe five, five or so. And then you get to come out of your cell and watch TV for like two hours, maybe. And you only get one channel change. So one channel change. Listen to what's going on and act like you're not listening to what's going on. Because you never know, dude. You can go in there and not do anything. And some people in there might want to come and fuck you up. Or, you know, stab your ass or something. Beat you over the head with a lock. You know, or rape your ass or something. You just never know. So you got to walk around, you know, and listen. To, you know. So, you know. Group sucks ass, dude. It's terrible. Ain't shit to do. Ain't cigarettes smoked. I mean, there ain't nothing there, dude. It's terrible. It just sucks. You know. Come and find out, you know, like my eight months in prison didn't start until like they found an opening spot for me. So I had to wait in jail for a time that like did not count towards anything. You know, I was just sitting there waiting for a told me, which was like a two hour ride in the back of a paddy wagon and they put shackles on your feet and wrists in your jumpsuit. And I get to prison and uh, they're bringing me in. First thing they do, man, they strip you down butt ass naked, butt fucking naked. And you know, you got to lift your sack. They look up on your sack. Then you got to turn around and spread your cheeks. And then you got to squat and cough. And then you're marching, dude, across prison, butt fucking naked into this room where they got these guys that spray you down with this shit and whatnot, spray your junk, spray your face and your hair and whatnot. They're like kills lice and everything. And then they give you a haircut and shave your whole head. And you walk around butt naked out of there to go get, I mean, you're just walking through prison, dude. You know, people tell me, you know, they want fucking ass and stuff from other jails and whatnot. I'm going to clap them cheeks, white boy. You're in there thinking, your boy, this is fucked, boy. Holy you're shit. walking, and finally you get a damn uh, jumpsuit put on, and then you go, and they give you, like, medical stuff and take your blood and test you out and whatnot. Then I finally got a meal and see And, you know, well, yeah, I walked around, dude. I did laps in that motherfucker. I probably walked, like, five miles in there, walking around, looking at everybody, listening to everything whatnot, you know. And, you know, <clears throat> and I kind of kept to myself first day. And then I'm in there in the shower line, you know, and I had called next. There was four shower heads in there, but only one guy take shower at a time. Um, and I had called next. And this one guy back there while the shower was happening came back there and tried to get in front of me. He was the head blood in the dorm. And he tried to get in front of me to shower line. And, uh, you know, I was, and he looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do about it, white boy? And I stood there for a second. He was a pretty big dude. And I just hauled back, and I knocked the shit out of him. I hit him with fucking everything I had, boy. And I just kept doing it. And the next thing I know, dude, I'm getting thudded in the fucking head. Oh, shit. In the side. These motherfuckers kicking at me and stomping me. And I was just swinging like a madman. I had five guys in there stomping me and beat my ass, dude. <clears throat> beat the fuck out of me. But, you know, I got out of there. They didn't knock me out or anything. I got lumped up pretty good or whatever. But I fucking scrapped, you know, like, you know, with everything I had. <clears throat> and after that day, you know, everybody in there respect me. Everybody started fucking with me, you know, smoked cigarettes with me. Damn, I had this guy who was a bunk above me. He wasn't in gang or nothing, but he was a real stand-up uh, guy. He really kind of showed me, you know, the, how to make it in there, how to, you know. He pretty much taught me the ropes and whatnot. And uh, 
So, yeah, I started doing my own thing. I started finding some other guys to kick it with. I started making them. We all worked yeah. out together pretty much, you know, and then eventually I had my like own little gang in there, you know, I had about <clears throat> 10 guys in the dorm that fought with me. And we always hung out, kicked it, worked out, play cards, you know, chess, watch people play basketball together. And then, you know, I started selling cigarettes in store in there. You know, I did all right. I probably made like selling cigarettes and running the store. Yeah, you know, well, Nothing there, what, anything going on. Prison is so much better <laughs> than jail because there's always some shit going on. You know, you can gamble, you play cards, smoke cigarettes, smoke pot. You know, people in there smoking other things, <clears throat> doing other drugs, do all sorts of shit. You know, and uh, they give you a little lock so you can Jeez. lock all your shit up. And uh, yeah, people put those locks and socks and stuff and fucking beat the hell out of other people with them. Yeah, you seen some pretty uh, fucked up stuff in there, you know. But out of here, boy. Did uh, they're shanking people in here? I'm next. I'm next. Hell yeah, boy. I was screaming on the inside, but so the uh, <laughs> yeah. So my first week, I was in there, you know. And you were freaking out. The following man, week, I was, had been shot to death. Whatever, mm-hmm. you know. He's real. He's a pretty good friend of mine. You know, it fucked me up pretty good while I was in there. You know, and uh, nah, not even be able to, you know, go to get used to a lot of things you never thought you'd get used to, you know. Like, let's say I was in jail, so when they pull you out of the dorm rooms or whatever, then they mm-hmm. only got one toilet, dude, and it's in a wide open spot, dude. So, like, you got shit, you can't get back in your dorm or whatever, and damn, you got shit in front of like 60 people, you know. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. I call it shit like that. You too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just drop it fucking shit in front of 60 yeah. people, you know. Everybody fucking with you. Put some water on it, white boy. Just everybody fucking with you, you know. It's uh, a lot of things. You get to prison, you know. Damn goo and shit. Uh, semen so all are, over the goddamn place in yeah. there. You're in there fucking trying to stand on one foot. It's awful, dude. It's terrible. Oh, man. And the rest of the world has been moving and going on. And, you know, while you've been sitting still, ain't doing nothing. You know, everybody else is growing and doing things. And you're, you know, you ain't got no money. You're on probation. You know, you got to do community classes. You got to do these drug counseling classes, dude. You know, and really, you know, coming out of jail and, you know, I'm fortunate. A lot of people didn't have what I have getting out of jail or prison, you know, and they have lost everything, you know, and then pretty much pro- to bring your ass back and put you back in prison. You know, it's really hard getting off. You know, it's, it's a lot fucking easier to get sent back to prison on probation or on parole. It's really just a system. You know, I pay a fucking shit ton of money in taxes. I really need to write my lawyer and be like, yeah, dude, it's about time to get me off, you know. I'm a functioning down at school and having moved back home, you know. Obviously. And then I went and started building decks yeah. again, which sucked ass. It was miserable. And I hated my life when I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, Mercedes mechanic program that was going on at a technical school 
in Gwinnett. So anyway, I had built decks from when I got out until the program started, which is I was going to be in the first, I was in the first uh, class they had at uh, Gwinnett Tech. And uh, so, you know, I've been building decks for a while, for going on like a year or so. And uh, I worked for a guy, you know, I just felt bad for him. Dude, you know, he's 40 something years old, doesn't have anything, just a miserable man. And he would just take it out, you know, on me while I was working. And he got to a point where I was like, you know, well, if I don't quit, I'm going to put this guy in the hospital because of the way he's disrespecting me. And I was like, fuck, I'll go back to jail. I'm going to beat his ass so bad. So I ended up, you know, quit working with him. And I started, uh, I joined, really, honestly, what saved me was I joined this gym called Straight Blast Gym in Beaufort. It's an international gym for, like, uh, Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai, you know, a bunch of other things. And, uh, you know, I haven't had any pause life for, you know, three years or so. And, you know, I went in there, dude, and everybody was just so positive and so nice to me and just so encouraging. And, you know, I went there and naturally. I uh really, really good wrestler. And, uh, you know, I just started to excel. You know, everybody was so nice to me, encouraging. And so I started competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments. <clears throat> and I went out there and just waxed everybody's ass, you know. He's actually had two UFC fights now. You know, so I, there was great people up there to train. Uh, I was training, doing that school, and then I ended up getting a job <laughs> working in the kitchen up at Hooters. In the kitchen, I was working there, going to school, and I was training to fight. Um, and which working at Hooters was just awful. You can talk about make you feel like a big old piece of shit. But so I went and did this technical school, and uh, you know, I did the first semester, and I had the highest grades in class out of everybody. And then come to find out, you know, at the end of the uh, school, end of the school semester, you had to get an internship at Mercedes, and uh, they wouldn't hire me because of my record. And I told the people going in to the program, you know, that I was a felon, and asked them if it would be a problem, and they said no. So I had wasted time and you know six months and like eighteen hundred dollars on this program, and you know I couldn't even do it. I oh, mean. And so I ain't got no skills, no college degree, yeah. working in the kitchen hitters, but I was still fighting and doing MMA. So that was really the only thing in time that I was doing is making me feel good about myself. So the guy that I trained with, who's uh, in the UFC now, his name is Jerry Gooden. I was a practice trainer with him. You know, he's a very excellent striker and, you know, he's pretty good in jiu-jitsu, but grappling, I was, you know, I had the upper leg, but missions and he caught me in a triangle choke. I used to be so stubborn to, as soon as I popped my head out, you know, I felt something, was, you know, I almost felt like somebody stabbed me in the back of the neck. And, uh, so, yeah, you know, I took off a few months of that. So I was just like an all time low, you know, I couldn't do <clears throat> MMA anymore. The schooling yeah. thing done fucked me up, you know, I don't know what the fuck to do. <clears throat> in the mirror, I hated myself so much, you know, and, like, my body was falling apart on me. And, you know, I really honestly thought about shooting myself in the head. I hated myself that much. I thought about you in my life uh, numerous times. I hated myself so bad, you know. And then I quit doing cocaine, and my body started feeling better a little bit. So I got a fight scheduled, you know, uh, lined up for, scheduled for. The guy backed out at the last moment. 
and I lost 28 pounds for, and he backed out. But anyway, so I got the second fight, and I started going back to the gym and training and dealing with my neck. My neck hurt so fucking bad, you know, I just was not the same person anymore. But I was in there, you know, trying to give it everything I had, just have something, you know, that would make me feel good about myself again, you know. Maybe I'd go out there and win this fight good about myself. And uh, I went out there and fought this guy who's 2-0. and And went out there, and we just had this battle. And uh, split decision, I ended up winning. And uh, I was trying to get ready for the next one, dude. And I literally just almost fell apart, dude. Uh, the pain was so bad, and it was never ending. I couldn't sleep. And when I tried to sleep, it just got worse, yeah. you know. It was a point where I couldn't dress myself. I don't have my girlfriend now who I've been dating for four years. I'm probably you know, marrying, but she had to help me get dressed because I couldn't do it. And then I finally went and saw a doctor or the MRI, had that neck surgery. And somehow, by the grace of God, I had a buddy that I played high school football with. And uh, he told me that he was in this welding program and that welding is a great job to get into and whatnot. So I went and signed up for a welding program for the near tech. And then I started busting my ass in that. And then I got out of the kitchen at Hooters and started bartending at a restaurant called Buffalo's. And I slowly started to feel good about myself again. You know, I finally had something in the working towards I was going to be able to do to make money. Something started to make me feel good about myself, you know. And then talking to people at the bar, you know, making them feel better about themselves made me feel good. And uh, I ended up working. Yeah. There for two years. Good, it took me like a year and a half to finish that program. And now I got this job at uh, John F. Penny Baker in Buford, and I just work with the nicest, coolest people. You know, we do some really cool work. I work in a mechanical contracting company. I'm a certified welder. I can do a little bit of pipe fitting. I'm somewhat of a mechanic, and we do everything. And I go to work and just do anything you can think of, from welding to you know just all sorts of just wild crazy jobs and it's just kind of cool at the end of the day you know look back and be like damn i helped build that you know i helped put that together just work with some just really good guys you know yeah Spider-Man, that, that that's awesome you you go from college athletes to selling a lot of being in the crime life selling a lot of a lot of drugs uh doing drugs yourself living living the wildlife and you know involving yourself in that drug game to then prison to getting out and really struggling and trying to find your way as he is you know a young guy uh not knowing where to go and then you know just keeping finding a great job and you know getting into contract working and uh you know being happy you sound like you're very happy now do you ever think back yep. You know, when you're, because you said you're 28 years old now, right? You ever think back to, you know, you're 22, 23, 24 no. years old, you know, that lifestyle? No. Honestly, uh, do you ever, do you ever, you know, man? Do you ever, and you know, you can't find a way to let go of it, holding all that pain inside, mm -hmm. you know, it, you're just, it's going to end up just, you got to find a way in life to let go of things, you know, and if you don't, the shit's, shit's going to happen. You got to find a way to let go of things. You got to find a way to forgive people. And more importantly, you got to find a way to be able to forgive yourself. And that's the hardest, that was the hardest thing for me to do is was to be able to forgive myself. You know, I could not do it for five, six, could not forgive myself for fucking up everything I had worked for my whole life. Could not look at myself. Finally, one day I was just able to somewhat, you know, to let go of it.
And then, you know, as soon as I did that, things started to get better. And, you know, you find out at the end of the day, you're your own worst enemy. You know, you can sit around and point other people for the shit that happened in your life. But well, on the end of the day, you know, regardless of the shit that happened, still have the ability to be able to decide how you're going to handle it and react to it, you know. That, you know, like, you're going to be the first, you know, and I appreciate that. going to be the first episode, man. For the people that are listening to this podcast and t- tuning into retired crime and hopefully passing this around and really listening from it, listen to your story, listen to where you came from to the point you're at now. You know, what, what is some of the stuff that you could say to these listeners that, you know, if they're struggling, they went through what you did. Now they're struggling because, you know, man, it's not easy for, it's not easy for a convicted felon. You're, you're a convicted felon, unfortunately, you know, and it's not easy for no, a felon in, in this day and age, man, to go, to get a job yeah. and make a good living. And so they turn back, they turn back to crime. They go back to the line. You, you know, you were, you, you persevered over that, man. And that, that's why it's so exciting, you know? So for, for the people that are listening, man, you know, I, 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 I think that you could say that, it, uh, you know, even though you're be a big person, you turned yeah. it, you know, ultimately it just judge anybody. Cause you know, you never know what people are going through. You know, ultimately, you know, you might see somebody and be like, God, that person's sure a fucking dickhead, but you might not know why that person's a dickhead, you know, at the end of the day. So I just try to treat everybody with respect, you know, and just, I can understand, you know, a lot of things more now. Like before, you know, I didn't understand why people did things. Now I'm a lot more understanding and, you know, I don't judge anybody. And, you know, it, uh, and the thing, too, that I found out, you know, anything that is worth that, doing, awesome. you know, takes at least two years of hard work to put into it before you're going to reap any reward from it. You know what I mean? So what I would tell the people who are struggling, you know, are thinking about maybe going and doing some illegal stuff to, you know, come up on some money. No, nah, dude, you just got to fucking, you know, fucking buckle up, you know, damn, keep going for things will come. Good things will come. It takes a lot more time to, you know, make good things to happen and find rewards than it does to do bad shit and get rewarded from it. You know what I mean? Things that are worthwhile take time. And yeah, I said, man, that, you know, everybody, everybody struggles in life and you go through, you know, you go through speed bumps, but you know, life is not a constant failure. You, you'll, you'll keep persevering and you'll get through it. And, you know, things will eventually go your way. They might not seem like it. You know, but they they eventually do, and you know, for a reason. And you know, Austin, man, you know your your story is just. I thought it was unbelievable and super interesting, man. You know, going from, like I said, I, I'll repeat myself, going number one kid in the country to selling a, a large amount of marijuana, selling other drugs, you know, Adderall, being involved in stuff like that, and taking drugs yourself and living that life to then. You know, even hitting another speed bump, hitting, going to prisons, experiencing that lifestyle, jail and then prison, and then now getting out and living a whole different lifestyle. And, you know, that, that, that that's awesome, man. You, I, I just I can't can't stress enough how appreciative I am for you willing to come on to retired crime and, you know, be the first episode for this podcast, man. I, I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, man. Austin, I, I wish I could shake your hand and you know, meet you in person, you know, maybe eventually one day I'll get to, uh, get to meet Once again, I just want to thank Austin for really taking the time to sit down and speak with me. You know, he took time out of his day to really talk to me about his life, something that was traumatic in his life and something that, you know, changed him as a human being. So again, Austin, I want to say thank you. And for those listening to Retired Crime, I really do appreciate you guys. This was so much fun and so exciting. 
And uh, I really do look forward to future episodes. For for those that really like this episode, please definitely tune into the future episodes. I'm going to have some really exciting, really, really exciting stories.